Returning to the word of God this morning as we find it in the 46th Psalm. And the top of the psalm, there's something that we often gloss over and we tend not to read them. But there are three things there. It says to the chief musician, and of course that the psalm was then to be played by the chief musician. And then there's a wonderful picture of the grace of God for the uh, sons of Korah. And they were the best voices. But of course, as we go back to the book of Numbers in chapter 16, we will find that Korah led a rebellion. And he and 250 of his cohorts were swallowed by the earth as God brought judgment upon them. But the grace didn't extend, or the rest extended, means that these sons weren't brought about, and here they are in use and in service for God. And of course, the great grace of God that's been extended to each of us. And then it says a song upon Alamoth, and there are two schools of thought among the scholars, Alamoth, that it was a high pitch for the treble soprano voices, or in an instrument as we find it in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. And you take your pick. Let's read the psalm now, having had a It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very pleasant help in trouble. Thereof will we not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. That little word selah just simply means think of that, sir. Thinking these things. Verse 4. There is a river, and please God, there's a river. We'll come to it in a moment. The streams were off shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He heard his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made on the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. See that. Amen. And God will bless the reading of his own inspired and follow an and indestructible and incorruptible and inexhaustible word of truth. But before we turn to the word of God, let's have a brief word of prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to thee, we thank thee for the teachings that we have signed together. We thank you for a sense of thy presence already, but we pray now as we turn to thy word, that I will shut myself in others, take away every distracting thought, whether the beauty of the day outside, the heat, or the things of the day that lie ahead, or the morrow that lies ahead, or the day that is gone. Help us this morning to make us thee. Help us to hear thy voice, and speak to us, and encourage us and help us. We ask these things in the Savior's precious name. Amen. Psalm 46 was written by Hezekiah. And in these days of great hurry and worry and bury, it's great to know from the psalm that we find he is our hiding place. 
He is one who not only hides us, but he holds us in his strength and he helps us. Of course, the setting of Psalm 46 is back in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 2 Kings 19. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, has come and he has besieged the city and he shut it off, thinking that he is going to starve them out because, of course, Jerusalem, you always broke Jerusalem up a hill, the water. He's going to starve them out in the sea. But ultimately in 2 Kings 19 and verse 35, an angel of the Lord, he just slew 185,000 Assyrians in one moment of time. You know, we often sing the piece that says he could have called 10,000 angels. Thank God this morning when he was on the cross, he didn't. He called 10,000 angels. What devastation there would have been. But there'll be no salvation for you and I this morning. This city, the holy city, the Jerusalem, this city of God, the place where he has chosen to put his name there, he had, the city is under siege. But it's sustained by a sacred river, bringing water into the city from the pool of virgins to the pool of Siloam. That's why it says in verse 4, there is a river. And thank God this morning, brothers and sisters, that there is this river of his pardon. There's a river of his presence no matter where we go. He is the only potent one. There's a river of his passion and his love towards us. The river of his promises that we can stand on. The river of his protection. The river of his provision for us in life. The river of his power and the river of his providence. The river of his patience and so many things we can stand on this morning. There is a river. And this river sustains the city in the midst of the sea. When we go to Jerusalem, we always finish in Jerusalem and the last thing we do is have a breaking of bread service in the garden too. But when we go to Jerusalem, one of the highlights there is to go through that tunnel that's called Hezekiah's Tunnel, where he diverted the water cars and covered it up and sustained the city. And it's a wonderful time to go through it. But as we come to this psalm this morning, I want to look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Now this morning as we come to the word of God. The first word in that verse is God. And the last word in that verse is trouble. And so often this morning when trouble comes. We get our eyes off the Lord and we get our eyes in trouble. And say of God that's maybe in a dark place this morning. Say of God that's maybe in a difficult place. Maybe you're in a trial. Maybe you're in tribulation this morning. There's tumult around your life this morning. There's tribulation all about you. What are you seeing? Are you seeing God? Are you seeing in trouble? Brother, sister, maybe that's not you this morning, but trouble will come your day soon. It always does. And when it does, I encourage you to get your eyes on the Lord and keep them on the Lord, rather than see the circumstances. So what I want to do is time permits this morning, keep your Bible handy, we're going to look at four or five people who saw God rather than the trouble. Turn away back with me this morning to 1 Samuel 17. I know we generally use it as a children's story, but I want to use it a different way this morning. 1 Samuel 17, and of course Israel sees a man, they see Goliath. They see this huge brute of a man challenging the nation, they see the trouble. Then in comes young David and he sees God. Morning, we're looking at him first of all. Of course, 
Israel sees his sight. Look at verse 4 through verse 7 of 1 Kings, or sorry, 1 Samuel 17. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And I'm told that's nine feet. And here's this huge man, nine feet tall. The average ceiling in the house is eight feet high. So a foot above the height of the ceiling. And here's this huge man. And Israel sees the signs. And the challenge comes this morning when a problem comes. Do we just see the signs of our problem? Do we see the signs of the difficulty? Do we see the signs of the challenge that lies before us? Do we see the challenge? Or do we see God? Do we see the signs? Look at the soldiers equipped in the verses 5 to 7. In a helmet of brass on his head. His arm of a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a part of the brass of between his shoulder. And the weight of a staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and one bearing the shield lamp before the head. And here's this man, and all his size, and all his military might. And sometimes we see the enemy. And we see their child. And we see their body. And we see the problem they've been to us. And our eyes are not on the Lord at all. All we see is their size and their knowledge and their power and their authority. And we get intimidated. So fear creeps in. And we lose sight of the Lord. His size. And the soldier's equipment. Look at the suggestion. Verse 10. They stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out? To set your battle in array. Am I not a set Philistine in his service to Saul? Choose your man for you. Let him come down to me. If you be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. It didn't work out that way, did it? Servants. But if I prevail against him and kill the him, then shall ye be our servants and servants. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel as they give me a man. Let me fight together. And the enemy comes. And the enemy tries to load the odds in their favor. It always does. Doesn't want a fair fight. Doesn't want fair thing. And they try to intimidate us. But Paul reminds us this morning. What shall we then say to these things? If God before us. Who can be against us? Brother, sister, this morning your eyes on the Lord. Yeah, the size of the enemy, the size of the problem, and the size of the difficulty. In Hebrews 13 and 5, he says, For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. First John 4 and 4, year of God that will surround thee, and overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The reality is this morning, child of God, no matter how big the difficulty you face this week, no matter how big the trial, no matter how big the trouble, no matter how big the tribulation, our God is greater and he will never leave thee and he will never forsake thee, whatever the outcome. And here's this man, look at verse 43. He's relying on his opposed gods. And the Philistines said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with saved? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. And so here's this big man. 
And he's not only standing on himself, he's not only depending on his physical prowess, he's not only depending on these things, but now he's depending on his false God. A false hope. A false hope. There's worse than no hope. The world has its false gods. The world has its false idols. Brother and sister, never lose sight of who we're depending on this morning. We're depending on the, on the only true and the only wise God. What does the prophet Isaiah tell us in chapter 45 and verse 22? Look unto me and be ye saved by the ends of the earth, for I am God. And there is none else. And whatever you're facing this morning, depend on God and get your eyes on Him this morning and get it off the drum. The glory comes and He's scoffing. Comes in all his size and his soldier's equipment and his suggestion and his supposed gods, but he's scoffing. First hand. Like the Philistine said in the fight of the armies of Israel this day, Give me a man that we may fight together. And in verse 42, when the Philistine looked about and saw David and the skin and he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. This defiant, arrogant, Brute of a man mocks. And child of God this morning, so often the world will mock the people of God. And all who will live righteously will suffer. And we're told to endure hardness as a good soldier. So don't be surprised when the world mocks you and scoffs you. And he comes with this shattering impact, verse 11. It says, When Saul and Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they dismayed. Greatly afraid. When Paul, or sorry, when Saul saw the giant, he, he, the giant brought him consternation. And he saw the size of the giant, and he saw his size, and he saw his ability, and he saw his might, and he was afraid, and his fear came upon the nation. And if he only got his eyes on the God who delivered them from the Egyptians and brought them across the Red Sea and everything else, then there will be no need for fear for 40 days. 40 days. I challenge your heart as I challenge mine this morning when trials and difficulties come. What do we say? Do we see the size of the problem? Do we see the difficulties? And fear grips our heart? Or do we turn our eyes to the Lord? And we get a hold of God this morning. So the nation. They see fear and they see a man and they see trouble. But in steps, David, look at the response of who, one who saw that, who saw God, rather than a trouble. Look at the solutions David was offering. They were all spiritual solutions. Our brother Cecil is coming to speak on Wednesday night on progressive Christianity. I encourage everyone to come and hear. It's a great in Northern Ireland today, this thing, and a dumbing down of things. And changing standards and moving away and there's very little Christianity about it. And here's David and he's offered things that are unspiritual. Saul offers David his armour. He's wanting to be with it in the world's way. And only when they were unfit for purpose, only when the world's ways weren't good enough, couldn't be made to use, only then was David allowed to go God's way. Child of God this morning, don't come to the Lord. Don't get your eyes on the Lord as a last resort. Come to Him first. 
not last. And they were unspiritual and they were unsuitable. David could not use Saul's armor. We need to trust in God. So you see the solutions he was offered, but then the simple faith given to Spanish. Look at verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day, will, not this day, mate, David's confidence, he's believing in God. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the earth and to the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in, it, God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with a spear, sword and a spear. And here's that. And the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. David's committing the battle to the Lord. He's not seeing the size of the giant. He's not worrying about the size of the giant. He sees how big his God is. And how he's able to look up. As a little aside, did you ever ask yourself why David took five stones? Was he feared he was going to miss before? No. Goliath had four brothers. He was ready for the whole of Such was his dependence on God. He's not seeing the trouble, he's seeing the Lord. The expression of his faith. The experience of his faith, verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered him out of the mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him with his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servants slew both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine shall is one of them, seeing him defied the armies of the living God. David has seen God deliver him before. He trusts him to do it again. And child of God, the God who has brought you through a difficulty in the past, is the same God. And he can bring you, and he will bring you through this one, whatever the end Can you not trust the Lord this way? Can you not get your eyes off the problem? And look and see the might, the almighty God, and whom we serve. So you have the expression of his faith and the experience of his faith. But look at the exercise of his faith. You see, it wasn't enough for David to have slain the lion in the past. It wasn't enough for David to have slain the bear in the past and then sit in the tent. David has got to exercise faith and he's got to go out and he's got to face this giant all over again this morning. This morning, will you step out with your eyes on the Lord and trust him this morning and get them off the problem and see the Lord as you're through with them this morning. I need to move on for the sake of time. David's response when Israel saw a man. Secondly, turn with me over to the prophecy of Daniel chapter 3, please. Daniel chapter 3. And we have the reliance here, three Hebrew children who would not die, but did not die. <coughs> David's response, and then the reliance of the three Hebrew children in Daniel chapter 3. Of course, the reality is here. 
Pois em 2 Paulo, And of course, in verse 1, there's the construction of the huge image. In Daniel chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold. His height was three square cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set up in a failing during the province of <coughs> The first introduction of state worship, look at verses 3 through 5. The princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province were gathered together into the dedication of the image of Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. They stood before the image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Then Unhurl cried aloud, For you this command, O people and nations and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbolt, the psaltery, the bosom, of all kinds of music, and here it is, ye fall down and worship the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Introduction of state worship and failure to do so was facing the fiery furnace, verse 6, and who swalloweth ever, who swalloweth not down, and worshipeth the same shall be shall be cast into the midst of the burning fire. Failure to worship. This image is death in the fiery furnace. I want to say this morning, maybe there's one in the meeting, Nazi, never guarantee a congregation. And I said there to love. Never been a time in your life when you've bowed your knee. And trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Never been a time when you cried, Lord, save me. You die in that sin that you're in this morning. One day you will be cast into the lake of fire. Hell is not the end, hell is a holding center. You go to Revelation chapter 20, you find that after the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and the devil, Hell and death are the fourth and fifth things thrown into the fire for It's a whole big center, pending the great race from judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 9. I wonder this morning if you're not seeing. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look outside that world and see that the Lord is coming to the air and is drawing nigh. And if you see it this morning, when you come and call on his name. But you see the Reality, by our born. You see, they're relaxing. These three young men would not buy. They didn't see the trouble, they wouldn't compromise, and they were not going to compromise the word of God, and they were going to stand for God, come what may. Whatever the outcome, they're going through with God. They would not bow, they did not budge. Then he can never, never offer a compromise, and they still refused. They would not bow, and they would not buckle, and they stood their ground. In verse 13 and 14, Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and his fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then he brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my God, nor worship the golden image that have set up? They did not bow, they would not budge, and they did not burn. Ultimately, they are cast into the fiery furnace. He had seven times beyond its not. Even those outside, perish but it's And then they go. But then there's four walking. An extra one. You know, how did Nebuchadnezzar know there was a son of man? But the Lord Jesus Christ was in the fiery furnace by that. And the response to him was in verse 17 and 18. If it be so, 
Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this burning, burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. But if not, they accept it may not be God's will to deliver them, but they're still going to go through with them and are going to keep their eyes in heaven. But if not, be it unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the code of image of Passover. Of course, with us all, the Lord's in the fire with that. Walking about protecting them. To bear in mind, they were thrown in down, they're walking about with them. The Lord was with them in the trouble. And when they came out, there wasn't even the smell of the smoke upon them. Their enemies ended up in the fire. Did these young men see trouble? No. No matter what they had come, they were prepared to go right through with God. And they did go through with Him. The eyes are on God, not in trouble. They depend on Him. Where's our eyes this morning? They depend on Him or they depend on trouble. Hebrews' response when Israel saw a man, the reliance of the three Hebrew children. Turn away with me over to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. The raging storm. Anybody that's ever been to Israel down and see a gallery will know that a storm can brew up there just very, very quickly. And Matthew 14 is one of the great chapters. Verse 1 to 12 is the beheading of Jonah Bachman. Verse 13 to 21 is the withdrawal and the feeding of the 5,000. Then, verse 22, the Lord sends the disciples in the ship. He sends them onto that sea of Galilee, 13 million miles, where they've sailed many times. But verse 23, he goes up into a quiet place to pray. And verse 24, one of those Galilean storms proves up. It says in verse 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. The sky is black. The Saturnian rain comes down, and if you've ever been in Galilee when it rains, it rains. It really rains. And the sky is darkened, and the Saturnian rain is falling, and the strong winds are howling, and the sea is contrary, and this little ship is battered, and the sailors are fearful. And verse 25 tells us of the situation, the fourth watch of the night. Just when it's blackest and darkest, and the storm flying. And into the midst of this dark sky, and the saturating rain, and the strong winds, and the sea that's coming, the ship that's battered, and fearful sailors, <coughs> in the situation of the world darkest of the night, there's a sight. The Lord is walking on the water. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went on to them, walking on the sea. And there's a sad lack of understanding in verse 26 when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it is a spirit, and they cried out with fear. The Lord was there, and they didn't even realize he was there. They didn't realize he was there. Or how often trouble comes our way, and the Lord's standing right there beside us in the shadows, and we didn't even realize he's there. Then comes the speech, verse 27. But straight away Jesus speak unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. The simple faith. Verse 28. Peter answered him, saying, Lord, if it be thy, let me come unto thee in the water. Now Peter gets well pressed, doesn't he? Peter, we often think the man who says one thing and does something else. But we never give Peter the credit for what he deserves. 
He's the only one out of twelve who's encouraged. He's the only one who's a face to get out of the boat and go to the water. Peter's got his eyes on the Lord and he's walking on water. What an experience that must be. Then it goes wrong. And I don't know whether one of the disciples says, Hey, Peter, there's a big one behind you. Then you go. I don't know. But something happened and Peter takes his eyes off the Lord and he looks out at the problem and he starts to say, my often brethren and sisters in a problem we got our eyes on the Lord but something happens we take our eyes off and we begin to go down Peter the disastrous disastrous consequences in verse 30 when he saw the wind voice the serious, he's looking at the wind he's not looking at the Lord he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, Lord, save me. I know that there would be an unsaved person that made this morning that he would cry, Lord, save me. Just three little words. It doesn't have to be a fancy prayer. It doesn't have to be an eloquent prayer. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. If it was a fancy, long, eloquent, flowing prayer, this man would never be seen. Three words from a repentant heart. And he'd hear you see. Just as he rescued Peter, he'll save you this morning. The child of God this morning, keep your eyes on the Lord. Having got them on him, never take them off. Because the result is disastrous and catastrophic. Take your time, I'll only do one more. David's response when Israel saw a man, the reliance of the three Hebrew children, the raging storm, the resolve. Turn back with me to Daniel chapter 6. Sorry, I should have told you to keep the finger of Daniel. My apologies. Daniel chapter 6. Of course, here it's Daniel. So let's take your pick. He's in the land's the end. He's in the end of the land. He's one of the land. Daniel chapter 6. We have the beautiful enemy. Daniel 6 and verse 4. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion in Stalin concerning the kingdom. The world still hates a blameless sin. The world hates someone who's living for God. And they have to try and conspire against them. I'm not conspiring against you. If you're living for the Lord and you're living right, look at don't be surprised when the world will conspire against you to heal. The fearful enemy. Verse 4, the faithful saint. Faithful saint. Verse 4, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was any error or fault in him. I know that I would have that testimony this morning. I couldn't find fault with me. This morning, if you want a, a man's testimony, go and ask his neighbors. My wife's in a meeting this morning. If you were to ask her, am I the same in public as I am in the house? I know what the answer would be. But here's a man who couldn't find any fault with him. If the fearful enemy and the faithful saint, and they formulate their plan in verse 7 to verse 9, all the presidents of the kingdoms, the governors and the princes and the counselors, and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute 
to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god, any man for thirty days, save will be, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. O king, establish the decree. And sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, was all that thought. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing decree. Not only to pray for thirty days. Okay. How did that impact me? No prayer for thirty days. Could it get by? Would it mean nothing to me? Thirty days, that's all. No communication with God for thirty days. Certainly meant something to Daniel. What did he do? Did he see the trouble or did he see the refuge? The fearless response, first here. Then when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did afford him. Daniel just kept on going. He just kept on seeking his God. He kept on praying. He didn't even close the windows. He just went on. His eyes, he was so taken up with the refuge. He never saw the trouble. The fickle action comes, they wanted the death of the saint in verse 12 to verse 16. And so Daniel was forced into the trouble. He's into the lion's den and the den of lions. But he's forsaken that. Of course our God intervenes, shutting the mouths of the lions. They can't touch it. One of the commentators said, Daniel, the most restful night of sleep that he ever had, lying in the belly of the lion, stroking his knee. But God's intervened and God's are with him. Daniel's depending on his God and trouble, and it doesn't get much worse than that. But the final judgment comes. In verse 24, the kings command them, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them and their children and their wives and the lions, and Master them and break all their bones and pieces over every, wherever they came at the bottom of the day. Ultimately, the enemies are thrown into the pit. The restrictions that God has imposed when Daniel's are there are lifted. The obvious consequences. Brother and sister, this morning, when trouble comes, leave it to God. Turn your eyes on from him. Take your hands off it. Let him deal with it. In his own marvellous way. <clears throat> I want to close with a, an illustration. Former Russian world chess champion, I forgive me, I believe I'm going to attempt to say his name. Let's call him the world champion chess But this world chess champion was invited to go and open the market gallery. And he took a friend with him and he went and did the, the civic duties and cut the tape and made a speech and all the rest of it. He's invited to go and look around the gallery. And he comes to a painting. It's two old men playing chess. And the painting's entitled Checkmate. And the world champion starts to be taken up with this after a minute, he says to me, Look, go and look around the rest of it. I want to study this. Okay. After a period of time, the mate comes back and he says, You're still looking at that. What's so 
een groeswinger bij het kinderen. Wat is zo belangrijk bij het? En de woord zegt dat er twee dingen zijn die ze kunnen doen hier. Ze kunnen het dat kinderen. Or they can read me about the name. That's not check yet. The king still has one more move, and it's a winning move. Brother and sister, this morning, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the tumor, in the midst of the tribulation, keep your eyes on the Lord. He always has one more move, and it's always a winning move. What do you see in this morning? God, your strength, your help, your refuge, your shelter. You see him in trouble. Go to trouble. Let's go from this place. <clears throat> Keep our eyes on the Lord, whatever, no matter whatever they befall us.